Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Is baptism for the dead the solution for those who have never heard about Jesus Christ? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. As we have been doing for the past several broadcasts, we are looking at a talk that was given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. It was titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? He gave this talk on January 12, 2014, and I want to give that date because I want to make it very clear, folks, that what Tad Callister is doing here is he is making a case for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to being the only true church on the face of the earth. The Mormon Church has not gotten away from that premise. They have always taught that their church alone is the only church with which God is pleased. And we cannot overlook this. Now, what he's doing, as we have been mentioning, a lot of what he is saying, a lot of his bullet points, I should say, are very similar to the 17 points of the true church, which is a story that has circulated among Mormons for many, many years. And even that source is questionable. But he's using those same points to try and make a case that the Mormon church is the only true church. Today, we look at the topic of baptism for the dead. And he's using the 16th of the 17 points of the true church that you just mentioned, Bill. This 16th point says the true church must practice baptism for the dead and then incites 1 Corinthians 15, 16 and verse 29. This is what Callister says. What does the blueprint say about those who never had a fair chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ while on the earth? Are they damned? Are we without revealed knowledge as to their spiritual condition? Now, let me stop you there, because that question that he asks there, are we without revealed knowledge as to their spiritual condition? I would say no, we're not without biblical knowledge as to the spiritual condition of those who do not have Christ as their Savior. Romans 3.23 seems to be very clear that all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. John 8.24 adds, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. These are the words of Jesus. Now, that might be hard to take, and certainly for many of us, those are tough words. But clearly, they're the words of the Apostle Paul, and clearly they are the words of Jesus himself. Now, the Mormons think that their solution to this is to give them a second chance in the next life. Now, that's where they start stepping into an area that I think is tenuous because the Bible doesn't give us any kind of a notion that somehow after you die, you have a chance to make up for things afterwards. Not even the Book of Mormon allows for that opportunity, according to Alma 34.34. It says that if you die, having procrastinated your repentance, the devil has sealed you his, and that is the final state of the wicked. And this is a red herring oftentimes used by Latter-day Saints when you get into the issues that separate Christianity from Mormonism, they often like to say, well, what about those who live in other countries who've never heard the gospel, or what about the dead? And I always like to say, well, you know what, those are great issues. We can talk about that a little later, but right now, 
we're talking about an issue with somebody who has the chance to be able to truly repent and believe in the God of the Bible. And I like to add by asking a Mormon, well, do you believe that God is going to judge righteously? Most of them will say yes. Well, if he's going to judge righteously, why would you be concerned about that? Certainly the answer is not to take a verse out of context and make up a doctrine in order to make you feel better. And that's certainly what Mormons have done in this case, especially with 1 Corinthians 15 and also with 1 Peter 4, 6. But what does he say about what Peter wrote? He uh, cites from 1 Peter 4, 6, Peter says, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And then Callister says, This doctrine was lost in the apostasy following the death of Christ's apostles, but it was restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. Well, how could the doctrine be lost in the apostasy when he's citing a verse from the very New Testament where they allegedly get their doctrine? That's a good point. And the problem, of course, is he's reading something in this passage that I think is overlooked by a lot of Latter-day Saints. Because remember, Mormons believe that those who die without being good Mormons will go to spirit prison and they will have the gospel preached to them. And we have to assume that this is something that's ongoing. But notice what Peter says. He says, for for this cause was the gospel preached, past tense. Mm. Not giving the impression that this is something that's going to keep going on and on and on as Mormonism teaches. So I think that they would have a problem explaining that. Now, in our book, Answering Mormons' Questions, we cite D.A. Carson when it comes to the First Corinthians passage, which he mentions in, in the next paragraph. Which says, Else what shall they do, which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And that's a passage, Bill, we oftentimes hear Latter-day Saints using to show that, well, obviously, this, this must be a legitimate doctrine if it's referred to by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. But you're right, we do talk about this in our book, Answering Mormon's Questions, and we do cite from D.A. Carson. This is what the, uh, Christian theologian D.A. Carson says. The most plausible interpretation of 1 Corinthians 15.29 is that some in Corinth were getting baptized vicariously for the dead. Several factors, however, put this into perspective. Although Paul does not explicitly condemn the practice, neither does he endorse it. Several writers have offered the following analogy. Imagine a Protestant writing, quote, Why do they pray for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? End quote. No one would take this as an endorsement of the practice of praying for the dead. It is a criticism of the inconsistency of praying for the dead while holding that the dead do not rise. To make this rhetorical question an endorsement of the practice of praying for the dead, one would expect this. Why do we then pray for the dead? Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 15.29, Paul preserves the more distant they. After all, his primary concern in 1 Corinthians 15 is the defense of the Christian doctrine of resurrection. His rhetorical question in verse 29 may simply be pointing out the inconsistency of those who deny the final resurrection, granted their rather strange baptismal practices. And they were strange. There is no good evidence for vicarious baptism anywhere in the New Testament or among the earliest apostolic fathers. By the same token, there is no hint that this vicarious baptism, if that is what it was, was intended by the Corinthian believers to cover as many deceased people as could be named. If the practice existed at all, it may have been tied to a few people or special cases. For example, when a relative died after trusting the gospel but before being baptized, we really do not know. If it were something like that, one could understand why Paul does not make a federal case of it. 
in any case, Paul's clear emphasis is that people are justified by grace through faith, which demands a personal response. Christian baptism is part of that personal response, even as it is a covenantal pledge. In contrast, baptism on behalf of someone who has never exercised such faith sounds like magic of something far from Pauline thought. Yeah, and when you also consider that the Doctrine and Covenants teaches that baptism for the dead is the most glorious subject pertaining to the everlasting gospel, it does seem odd that Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 switches to third person. And I agree with D.A. Carson. You would think that Paul would have said we if that was something that he was really doing. Because we don't have enough information regarding 1 Corinthians 15, what does the Mormon church do? It does what it always does. It argues from silence. It claims that they have new revelation that fills in the gaps. But we don't know that. This could be a notion that Joseph Smith just came up with, and there's no backing whatsoever to support that notion. It's just what Joseph Smith says. And then Callister goes on, and he brings out a point that's actually not mentioned in 17 Points of the True Church, one of the rare times that he actually uses a point not mentioned there. This is what Callister says. Are there three heavens or one heaven? For years, the Christian world has taught there is one heaven and one hell, but what does the original blueprint teach? Paul taught from 1 Corinthians 15:41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. Paul subsequently confirmed the truth of this three-tiered heaven when he recounted the vision of a man caught up in the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12:2. Could there be a third heaven if there was no second or first heaven? Again, this doctrine restored through the prophet Joseph Smith is in exact accord with the original blueprint. Now again, he's drawing a conclusion that I don't think is clearly substantiated from the New Testament. If a Mormon wants to argue that this is one of the plain and precious things that was taken out of the Word of God, notice we have Callister citing a Bible verse. Yeah. Could it be possible that maybe Callister and his church are merely interpreting these verses incorrectly? And it's easy to attribute that to some great apostasy because no one else teaches it. It could be that the Mormon church is really teaching the heresy in this particular case. Well, when he says, could there be a third heaven if there was no second or first? Could it be that Paul is using language that would be clearly understood by his hearers? I think that's the case. And you're right on that, because the people who are being spoken to would have to understand what he's talking about. And if Paul is talking in such a mysterious way, we have no indication that they would have understood or anywhere else in the New Testament where this is really being referred to. New Testament commentator Philip E. Hughes says this. He says, the probability is that Paul had in mind the conception of the heavens as threefold. Thus, uh, Johann Bengel explains that the first heaven was that of the clouds, that is, of the Earth's atmosphere, the second, that of the stars, the appearance of the lights of, in the firmament of heaven on the fourth day of creation in Genesis 1.14, and the third would be a heaven which is spiritual. I think that makes much more sense than this idea of three kingdoms, three different levels. And some people assume that Paul is making a reference to when he was stoned and perhaps had an, uh, an experience of, of visiting heaven. We don't really know for a fact. We can only surmise. When Callister asked, could there be a third heaven if there was no second or first heaven? We would answer, well, yeah, according to what you just said, that's certainly a plausible response to that. What seems to be implausible, and I think it's answered by Callister himself when he says, for years the Christian world has taught there is one heaven and one hell. Well, why have we taught that? Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't really give any kind of implication that there's three degrees of glory and that in that top level of heaven known as the celestial, there's three more. 
if we're really going to talk about three heavens, how come in Mormonism there's really six destinations when you consider it, if you don't include outer darkness? So much of what Callister is doing is imposing his presuppositions into his interpretation, and he's able to artificially create the points that he says would make up a true church. It's all based on his background and where he's coming from. We have to look at what the Bible verses are saying and try our best to understand them in their proper context, wanting to know what the author meant when they wrote those words. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, is a huge topic of interest among many Bible-believing Christians who want to reach their LDS friends and loved ones with the biblical message of hope and grace. If you're a Christian who wants to be better informed about the beliefs of the Mormon people, Mormonism Research Ministry wants to be a resource for you. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has worked hard to clearly articulate Mormon doctrine and history in order to better understand the issues that separate Mormonism from the Christian faith. At MRM.org, you'll find links to hundreds of articles as well as dozens of videos that will effectively educate you on this fascinating topic. Should your church need a live presentation? Simply contact MRM and schedule one of our several PowerPoint presentations that have helped thousands of Christians better understand the beliefs of their LDS neighbors. To schedule MRM at your church, write us at MRM.org or call 801-572-2153. Let MRM help you become a confident ambassador for Christ.